0: Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Yes. If you would, please join me and stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture can be found in James, James 1, verse 19 through 27. If you will, there's Bibles in front of you in the chairs, and you can turn to page 1019, and that's where we uh, we will be reading from today. This is about Listening and doing. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word you must also do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, You are only fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you.
1: I like that. Thank you, Jesse, for reading uh, God's word for us today. Shout out to the, the applause, honoring God's word there. That was the first time that that has happened that, since we have been doing that. Hey, I, I, I spoiled it in the, the MC welcome, but uh, my name is Joe, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to meet me, I am uh, glad that you are here and, and glad that we are together uh, today. Over the past uh, few weeks, we have been working our way through uh, the book of James, um, and we are going to be continuing that. And for the, the, the first part of James, the first chapter, we've noticed that James has been, con- has been talking about trials. That has been the, the content of, of this section. And he talks about how trials have been a, a couple of things. Trials are an opportunity for joy. And that also, when you resist temptation, that it can lead to blessing. And so today, the, this first chapter of James, the section that we're reading, is, is coming away from trials, but yet is also going to be talking about a struggle. So it's not a trial, but it is, it is a struggle, and it is a struggle that people in this room and watching online that would call themselves Christians all struggle with. And that is, is, is the struggle and what it means to grow as a Christian, what it means to to grow as a Christian. See, James, he, he wrote this book, we call it a book, but it was actually a letter. He wrote this letter to believers. He actually calls his audience brother and sister. I, I love that. He's telling us that as believers, we are the family of God. And so today I, I believe that James's words are not only speaking to his original audience, but through the Holy Spirit, James's words, will speak to us today as well. So, with that being said, I'd like to tell you guys a story. In, in honor of a holiday weekend, I would like to talk to you about uh, a holiday that was uh, something I celebrated a long time in my life. And that was the Saturday before Derby, for as long as I can remember, and honestly, longer than that, it was party at Uncle Rick's house. The Saturday before Derby was party at Uncle Rick's house. See, Uncle Rick is not my uncle, but he is the uncle of a great friend of mine. His name is Scott. Uncle Rick's house was extremely hard to find. It was off a road, down a road, down a road, off a road. And if I try to explain to you where it was, you kind of might be able to know where it is, but it is in the middle of nowhere. And see, Uncle Rick's place was awesome. It was full of the biggest bonfires you would ever see and every walk of life was present at Rick's party. Everything from motorcycle guys to businessmen. I remember one time at Uncle Rick's party, there was a famous guy that was a sportscaster on one of the local TV stations. And I was like, what happens at Rick's, stays at Rick's? Like there's the guy from the local news. Like, oh my gosh, like all kinds of people. Like we never talked about who showed up, but all kinds of people showed up. Hippies, like legit hippies would travel in their vans from all over to be a part of Rick's pre-derby party. Like, like, whoa, like this is a really, a real thing. So there's all these people from all walks of life. There's hippies, there's sportscasters, there's motorcycle guys, there's businessmen, and then there's us. Scott, his Uncle Rick's nephew and his buddies what are we doing here? We are 15 to 20 years, the next person our junior in age, and probably double that in life experience. We're like, I don't know, if we should go. But, but we went <clears throat> and see what you could do at Uncle Rick's was pretty much anything. You could experience things that were legal and allegedly or possibly things that were illegal <laughs> at Uncle Rick's. You could go see, be, do what you were or what you weren't for the weekend. Uncle Rick's, uh, it was awesome. See, one thing that I remember vividly about being at Uncle Rick's party was that was the first time I ever ate squirrel. Have you ever had squirrel? I have. Fire-roasted, barbecued squirrel from a shirtless man in a leather vest (laughs) at like two o'clock in the morning. I'll take two of those. It was the most interesting thing. And Uncle Rick's became this legendary part of our lives. We could, you would see people that hadn't been to Rick's in years, but they knew the Saturday before Derby, show up to his house, and people would be there. And we attended Rick's, me and my friends, we attended Rick's parties for like three years. And three years into going into these parties and experiencing and doing some crazy things and, and meeting the most interesting people, something happened to me. Something happened to me. I... I met someone and I was on my journey to become something different. And three years into meeting, uh, going to Rick's parties, I I met Jesus. A very dark, troubling time in my life, I heard the good news of Jesus. A a, a coworker at my job saw me and knew that I needed to hear about Jesus. And I I started to, to understand a little bit about Jesus I heard what the life of Jesus was like, and I thought, man, he has something to offer. I, I, I want to understand more about who this person is. I want to I hear more about that. And as I was learning a little bit about Jesus and the life that he offered, I also remembered that I had friends that I loved dearly, and I wanted to be with them too. I wanted to spend time with Jesus, but also wanted to spend time with my friends. And so uh, fast forward, it's derby time again, and it's time to go to Rick's. It's time to go and catch up with all the people, uh, go fishing with hippies and have barbecue with bikers. Like it was time to do our yearly tradition. And so we pile in our cars and we go and it's, it's the middle of the afternoon. We, we get there what was kind of, kind of early. And uh, from across the way uh, on the property, Rick sees uh, all the guys pulling out of our cars and, and Rick walks up. And I don't know if he meant it this way, but this is the way that I took it. He he said something to me. I took it as like kind of sarcastic, but he said, so, hey, Joe. I was like, yeah, what's up, Uncle Rick? He said, hey, I heard you've been born again. I heard you were a born again Christian now. And in that moment, my skin kind of crawled. I had this allergic reaction to the phrase born born again Christian that made me almost want to abandon this newfound faith that I had just found. His, his tone, it, the way he said it, I was like, uh, no, 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 Rick, Rick. I mean, I've met these people and I kind of go to church every now and again. Like, I'm just trying to figure out what life looks like. I want to make better decisions. I want to I try harder. I don't want to be what I used to be. But born again? I don't, I don't think so. I know what that word describes, the type of person that is that's definitely not me. I'm not, I'm not born again. Uh, embarrassed was the wrong word when he said that to me. I, I felt more exposed. Was I born again and just didn't know it? Do I really know Jesus? If I know Jesus, should I be at this party? Like, uh, is it cool that Jesus and I know Uncle Rick? Like, it came to a point where I was, like, confused. But born again was nothing that I would use to describe myself. See, I, at the time, I was doing religion. I was performing. I was learning behaviors. But it wasn't something that I would be, I would say that I was, I was born again. I remember as a kid driving around with my, my dad in the car and I'd be like, hey dad, you see that building? You, you see that building? You, you see that building? All throughout the South End, I would ask my dad, what are these different buildings? And he would say, oh, that's a Methodist church. Oh, that's a, that's a Baptist church. See, this is a Catholic church where we go. And he would talk about these different buildings, but one thing that he would say is like, oh, that is where born again Christians attend, attend church. See, today we need to know that born-again Christian does not belong to a political party. Born-again Christian is not shorthand to describe a rude person that crowds restaurants on Sunday afternoons. Born-again Christian does not mean a fundamentalist. It does not mean an ultra-conservative group of Christians. No, the term born-again sets the Christian faith apart from every other world religion. See, New Age mindfulness, it, it points to the inner self to try harder and uh, to do better, to release the inner being that will bring you enlightenment. Uh, Buddhists and Hindus, they, they believe that this world is full of just suffering and that we are meant to suffer and through spiritual disciplines and labors that in good behavior that we could have an enlightened life. Uh, Islam believes that you, to be good, you just follow moral law. And if you keep those laws, you can have eternal life. But see, for us simply as, as Christians, as people, we believe that we are born again. And what that means is that in the moment that you accept Christ, the very Spirit of God rebirths you into a new creation. The same mighty power lives inside of you that rose Jesus Christ from the grave. And so only Christianity makes this bold, this bold claim. When you accept Jesus, the death on the cross that he's paid for your sins, that you become a new creation. I don't know about you, but I have been in the room when I have seen brand new creations. I have three children. I have Jaylee, Kai, and Lennox. Have you ever been in the room with a brand new baby, a brand new human? They, yes, are alive, but no, are not fully formed. They don't have any filters They don't have any understanding, they don't have any personality, they don't have any reasoning. They just want what they want and fuss and make noises and fluids come out and they do things. But when we are new Christians, we are created anew, but just like a newborn baby, we are not formed yet. We are not formed yet. We're simply just brand new. See, the fact is when you put your faith in Jesus, You've been born again. You're just not formed yet. And so for many people in the room today and and people watching online, the challenge is that you can say, yes, I am a Christian. I have been following Jesus, or I I do know about his ways. For three, four, 10 years, I've known who Jesus is. But then you might say, but I don't feel different. I really am a Christian, but why don't I feel any different? I haven't been completely transformed. Joe, you just said that the power of God lives inside of me, but why do I still struggle? Why don't I feel more different than I do? This new creation that you've promised me, that God has promised, but yet I still feel broken. See, God has made you a new creation, but yet you're not formed. You find yourself, anytime someone undermines you or, or questions your judgment, rage and anger. I, you could say, I put my faith in Jesus, but yet I am still lonely. It just comes a time when I don't feel loved or I don't feel needed or desired. or I, You know what? I just, I just continually go and do the things that I used to do, searching out affirmation from other people over and over again, because there is this hole inside of me that I haven't figured out how to fill yet, and so I do it through people. See, you might say that, yeah, I'm new, but you don't understand my past. You don't understand how my parents treated me. You don't, you don't understand the abuse, the, the instability, the, the emotional pain, the, 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 the pain that they have caused me. See, there is this desire in me to want to be new, but you don't understand. This is just the way I am. This is the way that they have made me. The fact is, is that when you put your faith in Jesus, you are new, you have been born again, but you're just not formed yet. And the problem is, is that you may be new, but you've never moved from being new into spiritual formation from going from a new creation to formation. You can say that God is your savior, but can you answer the question, is God my teacher? Jesus, I trust you for my salvation, but do you trust him to be your teacher? You can say, yes, I've accepted what Jesus has done for me, but yet I still struggle to grab on to what Jesus has for me. You may know about Jesus. You may come to church. You you may be able to quote Bible verses or own a shirt or a coffee mug. You you may be able to be able to sing along to the words of the songs that we sing. But when it comes to the actions of your life, the way that you see yourself, you're well-formed in the knowledge of Jesus. But yet at some level, you're unchanged. You know the truth about what Jesus says, but you don't allow it to impact you. You don't allow it to to shape you. you. You don't allow it to form you. See, I believe the truth is this for for people in the room, myself, for many different ways, is that we are well-informed, but yet we struggle to be obedient. We're well-informed, but we we struggle to to be obedient. You might know the word of God, but you don't practice it. You're accustomed to hearing from God, but applying it is another story. So we believe the Bible and its promises are true for other people, but probably not me. See, nothing will ever change until something changes you. It's not that there's no answers. It's not that you can't be different. You can have a changed life. You can have a changed life. You know, see, it's, it's through obedience and, and the continually forming and shaping of God's will to your life that will eventually give you the life that God desires for you. See, the power of God comes inside of you, right, at, right when you're new when you become brand new, when you become reborn again, all the potential of God's promises are right, are right there. Potential. And hey, you know the difference between unmet potential and met potential? I think there's practical examples in our life. You ever had a Rubik's Cube? You're like, wow, this thing's cool. You buy it brand new in the box and then you shuffle it all around. And then you're like, I am never gonna figure this out again. Like you work on it, work on it, work on it. But then you see kids on YouTube that are upside down in water blindfolded on one leg and solve it in like 4 seconds they have met the full potential of a rubik's cube they have mastered it they know how to do and use it i'm a little bit older and so my references are dated but who remembers muggsy bo anybody remember muggsy bo the nba player 12th pick in the first round of the nba draft with David Robinson, Reggie Miller, Scottie Pippen, back in my day, I sound really old right now, but you, don't, you see what I'm saying. He was not, it was not a fluke. He belonged in this, this elite class of people. At, at five foot three, uh, Muggsy Bo, for 14 years, played in the NBA as a point guard. My man could dunk. I'm five eight, I got a lot of work to do. I am not living up to my mastery of basketball. But if we look at what Muggsy Bo was able to do, he took what God gave him and stretched it to its full potential. I I think you see what I'm saying here is, and I want to give you another uh, example of how to think about this. There's this author. His name is uh, Malcolm Gladwell. And he wrote this breakout book a few years ago. It's called Outliers. And and he talks about this rule. It's the 10,000-hour rule. And uh, if, you know, if you're in business or leadership, you've probably heard the 10,000 hour rule. But it, it, what it is, is you take 10,000 hours of intense practice to achieve complex skills and ma- uh, mastery. You, you, you use these materials to form and shape your abilities. Think of like a, a concert violinist or, or a pianist. Or you think about like a, a hacker or like Bill Gates. Like my man locked himself in a garage and then built Microsoft. Like he didn't go on dates. He wasn't distracted by the world. He's like, this is me and this computer. I'm going to work and figure it out and develop it. And that's what what we need to do. In James 1.3, it says this, for you will know when your faith is tested that your endurance has a chance to grow. See, the struggle and the trials of life that we have is that we get to take the information that we learn from Jesus and apply it to our life. And when we apply it to our life, we become more like Jesus. See, you are born again. You are a new creation with all the potential that God has given you, but it's through obedience to God's word, learning and following what God says that will give you the life that he has for you. I want to stop just right here and say this, that we don't obey to be saved, but we obey because we are saved. See, we are only able to live the life that God has us because the very spirit of God is in us if we were just to take just a moment and, and, and talk about someone in your life, think of the most Christian, godly person that you know. Like, just, okay, you're thinking about them. What would you know about them? What would you, what would you say would be true about them? How is their speech? How are their actions? What do their life choices look like? For me, when I think of a well-formed Christian, like someone that aspirationally I could look to and say, man, they're leading a life that Jesus has for them. I think of my father-in-law. I think of, I think of Hector. He is patient, loving, kind. He's forever faithful. And I look at this and, and you can just be around him and you know that, that things are different about Hector. You're like, whoa. Like, and if you knew his story and where he came from, it's miraculous from being a, a street performer in a band to just faithfully living as a Christian. Like what in the world? It, it, it's, it, he comes here sometimes. He has white hair, beautiful dude. You need to talk to him. He's an amazing person. Pull him in the corner and be like, hey, tell me about Jesus. And he'll tell you about Jesus for, forever. But when I think about that, I think about how God has molded him, how Hector has allowed the Holy Spirit for years and years and years to, to shape and form him. Karen and I, we, we lived with him for a little while while our house was being renovated. And, and to say that I noticed things about him that were different, that are desirable for me, is when you see someone that is just so at peace, so fully surrendered to God's plan. When you watch your father in law wake up at like six o'clock, seven o'clock on a Tuesday, walk downstairs put a piece of toast in the toaster, rub some butter on it, make a cup of coffee and just stand in his kitchen, staring out the window saying, thank you, Jesus. The simple things of life. God, you've blessed me so much. This reflective spirit of just humbly saying, God, whatever you have for me. If today it's a piece of buttery toast and a cup of coffee, man, I praise God for that. If it's a a trial or enduring, whatever it is, I praise God that you're with me through those things. And see, the beautiful thing is, is that we all can achieve it. We all can achieve it as Christians, as being born again, the life that God has for it, it is achievable. It is possible. And, and today, that's as we continue, that's what James is going to tell us. James is going to tell us that, yet, yes, faith does save you, but obedience forms you. Faith saves you, but obedience forms you. And so for the next few moments that we are together, we are going to talk about how James shows us the three parts in the process of spiritual formation. If you take notes, this is the time to write this down. You can take this note. You can write that if you enjoy toast, it's a sign of godliness, so you can write that down too. But James shows us the three parts of the process of spiritual formation. And the first part is this, it is you receive new life you have received a new life. Now, the section of of the text I'm going to read is not on your worship guide, but I want to just go right through it. And this is James, and it's in 118. I'll read it for us. It says, He, meaning God, chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word, and we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. When we have received the word of truth, when you hear about Jesus, and you believe you were born again. You become a Christian. What an incredible statement. Chose to give birth to us by giving us the true word. God, he chose you. Right there in your living room right now where you're watching this, God chose you. You people in the room, myself, God, he chose us. James unpacks this beautiful mystery of of being reborn really quick, almost in like a tweet. The mystery of becoming a new creation. God chose it and he gave it to us. And by that, we become his prized possession. See, Christianity isn't becoming a better version of your old self, but it's becoming a new person in Christ. See, we first receive new life This is the first step in the process of how we grow. And it happens in an instant. By faith, we do nothing but yet just accept it. You don't have to work for it. You don't earn it. It's already been done for you. You just accept it. By faith, God makes us new. And as soon as you accept Jesus, you are new. You're just not formed yet. And so for the first step in spiritual formation, in in, in Christian formation, is that you receive new life. And the second part, the second part of the process of spiritual formation is the truth is planted in your hearts. The truth is planted in your hearts. Let me read this to you. It's in James 1, 19 through 21. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word. God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. James says the, saying, the thing that, that produced new life in you is the word. It's the word of truth. But also that that same power that created you a new person is miraculously come alive in this book. In this book. The, the the miraculous life, the promise of a new life has also been planted into the scriptures, the word of God. See, when you become a Christian, something something miraculous happens. You when you're like, man, my faith is in Jesus, this book just isn't any ordinary book. It is food. It is it is the lifeblood for spirituality. It is the air that you need to breathe to be alive. When When you think about the way that this book is supposed to be forming and shaping you, you shut the book. When you're hungry, you you don't go to the drive-thru and just look at the menu. That's nice. You need to eat. When you're thirsty and you're parched and you're like, man, I just need some water, you don't look at a glass or, or pull up a picture on the internet and go, man, that must be nice. No, you inhale it. You consume it. You you know that you need it to live. Think of like a baby. You know as their parent, you need to give them food. But if they don't eat, they're gonna starve. But what do they do? I don't want a bottle. "Ah," You're trying to figure out what kind of formula they have as a new parent. And they're like, no, no, no. But eventually the hunger, they have to be like, oh, I need this to live. That's the same thing for us. As a Christian, we need to realize, I need this so I can live the life That God has for me. As a new creation, you need to understand that the world will never offer you anything to satisfy you. You'll never be satisfied by anything that the world has to offer. We have become God's prized possession. We are his children. And this is what he has given us to live on. This is what he has given us to to live on. But yeah, you, you attend church. You read devotionals. You're part of a growth group. But you don't get the sense that God's word is freeing you. You don't get the sense that you've found the life that God has for you through these pages. You wouldn't say that you're, you're growing as a Christian. See, to grow, you, you have to not only receive God's word, but you also have to accept it. James tells us very specifically how we have to accept it. We must humbly accept the word of God that is planted in our hearts. When we hear the word of God but don't but there could be something stopping you. You hear the word of God but it's not changing you. You hear the word of God but this hurt, this habit, this stronghold just keeps you from believing it. I think James describes one of the ways that this happens in 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 verse 19, James points out what could be stopping us from growing, what could be keeping us from, from nourishing our spirit by the word of God. In verse 19 and 20, it says this, You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, James is warning us that we, our unwillingness to listen, our ability to think we have all the answers, to be a hothead, is not beneficial for growing as a Christian. James describes this as as being full of human anger that is not righteous. It is not what God desires for us. Little side note that anger, not all anger is bad. Jesus got angry. It's okay sometimes to get angry. Anger is also used to defend. You as a parent, when someone wrongs your child, anger rises up because you want to defend it. You want to defend what you love. But know that not all anger is good either. But see, Jesus, he shows us an example of of good anger. When he flips over the merchant tables in the temple, he's defending God's honor. But oftentimes the anger that James is describing here that we have is not righteous anger. It's an anger that is rooted in pride. See, you look at the type of person James is describing and to me, it sounds like a, a, a prideful person. And when you're prideful, you'll never process. You'll, you won't listen. Your anger is quick to get out of hand, and you, your tongue is probably faster than your thoughts. James shows us that a byproduct of this pridefulness is human anger. Pridefulness leads to, to two types of human anger. You probably experience both. Maybe you do one more than the other, but one type of human anger is inward anger. Has someone ever tried to correct you or, or point out a flaw or maybe you read something and it, it, it pokes you in a place and you're like, never again, I'm never talking to them. You know what they said to me? I'm just, nah, and bitterness grows inside of you. You shut down, you pull away. How dare you question the way I raise my kids or whatever. Through, through this, this thought, you, you, you bitterly hold on to what they've said to you and now you're like, I'm never listening. You hold a grudge. James also explains here the outward anger that most people experience because it's outward, it's expressed, it's rage. How dare you talk to me that way? You know what? I'm just, and they just blow up and you're fast with your tongue. You say things and you know that it wasn't righteous anger because as soon as it came out of your mouth, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. The other day I, I was really prideful about how I do the laundry. My wife was like, what is wrong with you? You shrunk my blouse. I knew better. I wasn't going to read the instructions. It goes in that one and it goes in that one. It's wet. This makes it dry. Throw it in there. You don't know how to do the laundry. What are you talking about? Just put it in there. Apparently, stuff from Stitch Fix has to be special. It's holy. You can't just treat it like a sock. It's a newborn child, a precious gift from the Lord that has to be cared for. Uh, But listen, that's my anger. That wasn't righteous indignation and rage. that how dare you question the way I do laundry. No, it was like, no, I don't listen to you. Don't ask me to do the laundry. But that's what happens. Our human anger is a source of pride. A prideful heart is full of self-righteousness and self-righteousness will never admit that they are saving. When pridefulness rises up in you, when you get mad or you shut down, something near to you, it's an alert. What is that? What has, what, has, what has triggered me to, to feel like I need to defend me, either by shutting down or blowing up. Know that when that happens, pride is near. And when you're pride, it's usually full of self-righteousness. Self-righteous people, they, they, they're never gonna accept that they need help. I can handle it, I got this, I don't need help, I don't need you. When you're self-righteous, you know who else you think you don't need? God, God, you can't tell me nothing. God, I don't want to listen to you no more. God, I tried it your way. It didn't work. I'm out. When we're self-righteous, we, we won't listen. We won't accept and allow the word of truth to nourish our soul. But see, what we have to do is we have to come to a point in our life when we realize what is true for me, what is true for you, what is true for everyone, it's true for people watching online. And that truth is is that we're all broken. I have nothing in me that I can hang my hat on and say, I'm good. I'm 100% corrupt. I'm 100% a failure. The things that I hold on to, I think that I can defend, I have no leg to stand on. And when I can accept that, I can accept this, that God so loved me, that God so loved me, he sent Jesus to pay a debt that I owe that I could never pay. See, when you understand that even though you are 100% corrupt, God knew it and he said you were worth it. God knew it and he said you are worth it. James 1.21 is the gospel of Jesus. When you humbly accept God's word, it has the power to save your soul. Jesus, I don't know, but you do. Save me, teach me, lead me, guide me. When you think about the debt that you owe to Jesus and how you never will be ever to repay it, you have one response, humility. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But when you stay in your pride, you won't listen. You won't be able to change. You won't continue to form into the ways of Jesus. You can continue to grind your life out, white knuckling, doing it your way, and just going through life with the same choices over and over again, never humbling yourself. But here's what's true. Prideful people are never happy. You ever met a super prideful person? Like, man, they are like a joy to be around. I love those people. No. But humble people, humble people are the exact opposite. They're ever optimists. They're full of joy. They're full of hope. You know what? I got a flat tire today. God knows. Who knows? It's keeping me from something I don't need to get to. Praise the Lord for this flat tire. You, you meet people that are optimistic and, they, they, and they're humble. They can accept whatever God has for them. God, I don't know why I have cancer now, but you know what? Through this process, you're good. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to hold on to it. But pride keeps you from having that humble spirit. See, when we remember what Jesus has done for us, we can live a different life. We can hold on to the hope. We can be not only made new, but also continue to become new. So there's three parts. And we're going to close with this third part, but let me remind you of the first, first two parts. There are three parts of the process of Christian formation. Number one is that we receive new life. God gives us birth by giving us his true word. Number two was, is that the truth was planted in your heart. We humbly accept this. We humbly accept the word of God and we plan it in our hearts, God thank you for the word. let me get it in me. Let me bury it deep inside of who I am. And the third thing is is that through obedience, we will be blessed. Obedience brings blessings. See, God gives you a new life, you've humbly expect, accepted the word of God, and the next step for us is to is to be obedient and before we read the next section, I want to I show you something as we read the next section, I want to point out how, G, how James describes the word of God, how he describes salvation, how he describes living a a life, reading intently in the Bible. In James 18, he says, it is his true word. In verse 21, he says, it is the word. But then if you look in verse 25, James says this, I look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for it. Did you catch that? It went from a word, it went from a moment to a perfect law, a perfect law. The perfect law sets you free. As you're obedient to the word of God and and you grow in spiritual maturity, the word of God takes on a more important place in your life. It's not just words to you, it's what you live by. It's the law of your life. See, the world will tell you 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 don't need rules. What's the, what's the restaurant? No rules, just right. You know, like you, you, you don't, you get to choose your own truth. I don't like who I am. I'm going to say I'm something different. I don't, I don't want to be that no more. I'm just going to change my, my identity. But see, the, the perfect law is set up to be instructions to live by. Know this to be true, that the more I obey, the more I become the person God wants me to be. And when I'm more the person that God wants me to be, the freer I will be. See, when you're new, God changes you. Think about the other things that God's made. God made a fish. Think about trying to change him and and take him out of the way that God made him. God made fish to thrive and live underwater, to run and chase streams and oceans and lakes and, and be an apex predator to dominate the space of water. The same is true for you. God created you to live in the rules, to live inside of his law, to live inside of his world. When you take a fish out of water, it's not freedom. It's a death sentence. When you remove the word of God from your life, it's not freedom. It's a death sentence. When you don't have the rules and the laws of God's word to lead you and guide you, you're like A fish out of water. James says that we shouldn't forget. So how do we remember? How do we stay connected to God's word? How do we be blessed for it? How how do we do what we need to do to grow? I'm gonna quote an old guy, a pastor. He says, to grow as a Christian, you need one thing. And that is long obedience in the same direction. You need to hold on to God's word and say yes and amen. Today, tomorrow, and forever. You can't just eat one time and live off of that. Continually, you have to come back over and over and over and over. As I wrap up for the second time, we now have one last thing that I want to point out and what James talks about. And that there are two type of people that hold on to God's word. Two outcomes that we can have as a follower of Jesus. Let me read it to you in James 26 and 27. It says, if you claim to be religious and do not control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. Your religion is worthless. Pure religion is in the sight of God. The Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So you can take the word of God and you can, you can learn it, you can, be a, you can uh, dive into it, you can consume it, you can memorize it, you can study it, you can show it to, to other people and you can become a person with lots of information but little obedience. Or you can become a person, as James describes, a person with pure religion, full of information and action. James isn't saying that the only way to have a pure relationship is to feed widows and orphans. No, he's saying that when you follow the word of God, that the proof is in your actions, that you look different. If you can't watch your mouth, if you can't see the way that you're treating people, you're only fooling yourself. Have you ever met someone and you found out that they were a Christian and you're like, whoa, that's happened to me. In my life, people go, wow, you, you follow Jesus? Yeah, I know. Sometimes I try my best, but I feel like that our actions sometimes lead us to this, this religion that we have. Now, I'm going to tell a story about myself, and it is that through COVID and over the last few months, I really got into this habit of wanting to know more. I want to dive deep into religion. I started reading all these books by these older guys, all these spiritual giants, pastors and, and therapists and teachers. And I was just eating it up. Like I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more. I wanted to be so educated because I wanted people to come up to me and go, wow, Joe, you're really smart. Joe, you really have all the answers. Joe, you, when I ask you a question, you always give me three steps and a book reference. I was becoming more and more religious, only fooling myself. And people around me knew it. Yeah, if you met me for coffee, you'd get a book recommendation. You thought I was super spiritual. But if you cut me off at the gas station or if you said something to one of my kids, yeah, anger and bitterness and a fast tongue. So I was talking to a friend of mine. I was like, man, I've read well ordered Heart. I've read The Life You Always Wanted. I've read Elimination of Hurry because hurry is the opposite of love. I've done all these things. And he looked at me across the room and he said, hey, when's the last time you experienced the love of God? When is the last time you went from just reading it to accepting it, doing it, living it out? He asked too, he's like, when's the last time that you felt the love of God through devotion or deed, not duty? James warns us not to just become a, a religious creature of habit, but to be someone that has pure religion, through action and information. Pure religion is is to be freeing by the love of God, to fully embracing the life he has set apart for you. And so in this final transition, as we move to the very end of this message, I would like to ask you to do one thing, to take a moment and search yourself. Ask God, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is inside of you right now and ask them, Holy Spirit, where have I become religious? Where have I become prideful? Where is a stronghold in my life that has kept me from being obedient to the will of in your the will you have for my life? Where is an area in my life that I know that the truth, but I'm not obeying it? And as we ponder that question, know that there's going to be an opportunity to take communion and the worship team's gonna make their way right now and they're gonna move communion into place and there's gonna be an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us. To remember that he has paid our debt and that humbly we can come to the table of God and look at the elements that represent Jesus' body and his blood and say, you took a beating. How beautifully broken your body is that I may have healing in my life. And God, look at your son, Jesus, spotless, sinless, who sacrificed for me, that I may humbly have life, that may I be born again, that I may have the word of truth, and that I may become obedient and follow you and become the person that you've made me to be. I wanna pray for us and then we wanna sit. After this prayer, take a moment, ask God, where do I need to be obedient? Where do I need to let go? Where do I need you to to move in my spirit again? And then if you want to, no pressure, but if you want to come and partake of the Lord's Supper, come and and have, have communion. As a believer, we do this to be reminded each week of the sacrifice of Jesus in the life that he promises us. Let's pray. Oh, and before that, uh, the bolded section is our practice that we will say that aloud. Oh, Lord, I know this about myself. I'm quick to speak, slow to listen, and angry at so much that it seems to be unfair. I am more consumed by the world and less obedient to your word than I want to be. But still, you are faithful. Even though I prove time and time again to be disloyal, sinful, and faithless, still you speak to me with the power to save my soul. Help me to be a doer of your word, to look deep within your commands, to be set free of worthless religion that does not change me, or change the world around me. Say this with me. Give me a humble heart, a willing spirit, a faith that lasts in a world that won't. I want to follow you wherever you lead. Amen.